very morning. The story picks up where Jesus has just come from the desert. He spent 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying. He had been tempted by the devil, but he did not give in. He did not give in. And so he comes out of that season and begins his ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Hear these words of our Father. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues, being praised by everyone. He came to Nazareth, where he had been, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, We are thankful that it continues to transform the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, we ask for that transforming work to be here in this place this morning, a work that only you can do. Lord, we are in desperate need of you, and so would you reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. But I ask that you would come and give life and life to the full. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. So our passage starts with Jesus returning to his hometown, somewhat of a celebrity. All right, he's somewhat of a celebrity. In fact, to those who might have said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We see this in John chapter 1, verse 46. The locals could reply, yes, and here he is. Here he is. See, Jesus had grown up in this place, and now all of Galilee was praising him for his teaching and his mighty works. And so he shows up, the text says in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Because of this, our hometown boy is now a big deal situation. We can assume that the building, that the synagogue was packed. It was packed. Now let me set the scene to what would have happened in a general gathering in a synagogue in Jesus' time. Let me, let me paint the picture for you. Let me give you some cultural context. See, they would have gathered and they would have started by singing from the Psalms. Singing from the Psalms. Uh, history tells us that some of their favorite Psalms were found between Psalm 145 to a Psalm 150. This was followed by the reading of the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai Alehenu Adonai Echad. It's beautiful. And can I say something real quick? There's something incredibly beautiful about the hearing the collective voices of people where you strip away the instruments. And now these instruments are incredible and those who play them even better. But there's something beautiful about just hearing the voices of people. It's like when you go to a concert. 
right? And you're jamming out and it's incredible. And then all of a sudden, the, the instruments just stop and all you hear is the voices of the people. Something beautiful about that. And so they would cry out the Shema together. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. They would continue. We find this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. They would continue with the Shema. We know that this is where Jesus draws from when he gives us the great commandment. It's from the Shema. Then what would happen is that together, collectively, they would then uh, recite the 18 benedictions known as the tafila. These were recited in succession, together. Then came the reading of the scripture. An officer went to the holy ark, took out the Torah scroll, removed its cloth, covering it, opened it from its designated place, placed it on the table where it was read by various attenders. The Torah was then returned to the ark, and then a portion from the prophets would be taken, known as the haftarah. This was then read, and then followed by a sermon. It would be preached, and then at the end of the gathering, at the end of the service, a benediction would be given. A a priestly blessing would be given. One of them is found in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. And as this this blessing, this, this benediction is being given, at the end of every pause, the people gathered would together cry out, Amen. It would sound like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The service would end and then the people would go home. That that was a a, a normal gathering at a synagogue. The, The practice would be like that. And so when the time came, Jesus stood up to read because I'm pretty sure what had happened is is just before the gathering, uh, they knew that Jesus was coming, right? And he's a big deal. One of the the, the leaders would have approached Jesus and said, hey, would you you read from the prophets and maybe just give us a little message? Would Would you do that for us? And so when the time came, Jesus stood up to read. Verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, this reading was a a combination of a couple of lines from Isaiah 58 verse 6 and then a good portion of it was from Isaiah 61 verse 1 and 2. See, but Jesus had left out a significant line from Isaiah 61 verse 2. He had left out the phrase that says, and the day of our God's vengeance. And the day of our God's vengeance. He had had left that out. See, by skipping this last line, Jesus got their attention. See, they would have known this passage. It would have have been read to them over and over again. So they they would have known it. and, And so they were waiting as he reads it to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. But he leaves it out. 
He now has their attention. The room was probably silent like this. An awkward giggle, an awkward laugh, a nervous look. And those who know me, you know I love awkward moments. And so I'm probably the one sitting there looking at everyone going, God, you know, you just left it out. What's happening? What's going Hoping to catch a face that's doing the same thing. Like, what on earth is going on? Look at verse 20. Unfazed. Unfazed by the silence. By the awkward looks. By the giggles. Verse 20 says, He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Now guys, that's incredible. Now, I know many of us, when we read the scriptures, we'll just kind of read and be like, oh, okay, cool. That's... He sat down and everyone was amazed. Okay, cool. Uh, next verse. I want to get to the miracles. Well, wait, where's the part where Jesus raises people up from the dead? Like, that's amazing. No, this is amazing. Think about it for a moment. He, he stands up and he, he reads from Isaiah, a passage that had been read to the synagogue over and over again. Leaves out a line, rolls it up, hands it, back to the attendant, and then sits down. Notices people are looking at him funny, and he says, okay, today, the scripture has been fulfilled. It's kind of like a, wait, what? I mean, Jesus, we knew you were famous, and you're a big deal, but come on, seriously? See, what Jesus was saying, two things. Two things. What Jesus was saying is that one, the the comfort and restoration of Israel promised long before by Isaiah found was found in its ultimate expression in Jesus and his message. That's what he's saying. This comfort and this restoration that many of you have longed for, and not just you, but your your parents and and, and their parents and and their parents, this, this restoration and healing that they have longed for. He's saying it's, it's not being fulfilled in me and in the message that I have for you. The second thing that he says is that while the day of vengeance of our God would come, it was not being fulfilled on that day. It was coming and it is coming, but it's not being fulfilled on that day. What was being fulfilled on that day was the year, the the season, the the time of our Lord's favor. And what favor? What grand and amazing and beautiful favor. What, What Jesus is saying is that, listen, I'm here to give grace. To give grace. To allow those who, who, who don't know God to know Him. And not just to know Him, but to enter into this relationship with Him. What favor? That your time is not up yet. That time is coming. The clock is counting down. But what he's saying is it's not today. And so all that restoration and healing that you have longed for is here and it is made possible through a relationship with me. That's what's on offer. That's what he's saying. These are powerful words because here, friends, here is the gospel. Here is the good news. Here's our New Year's resolution. 
is that we would, we would look to the gospel, we would look to Jesus and his message and find healing and restoration. And not only that, but that we would be compelled by the power and the love of Jesus to go out and make sure other people would know of this gospel. And to say to them that this, this season and this time and this year is the Lord's favor. Because it's not over yet that there's still time for you to receive Jesus. But let's dive into his message. Let's dive into the words of Isaiah that Jesus read out. Let's look at his sermon. Because you see, in in Jesus' sermon, he, he tells us of four classes of people who would benefit from his ministry. Four classes of people that would benefit from Jesus' ministry. They are the poor, the captives, some translations would call them the prisoners, the blind, and the oppressed. The poor, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Let me unpack this. The poor. Jesus was anointed to preach good news to the poor. Now, the word poor can can cover poverty of every kind. It's poverty of every kind, which would probably excuse most of us, if not all of us, in this room. I know you might be sitting there and be like, brother, you don't know my situation. I don't, but I'm pretty sure it's not poverty. I'm pretty sure it's not poverty. And so we might go, well, then I guess I don't fall in there. I guess Jesus didn't didn't come for me, at least in that category. But before you check out, before you disregard this, I I want you to know that, that this word poor emphasizes not just physically but but spiritual poverty it speaks of our spiritual poverty that without a relationship with jesus that connects us to the father the scriptures tell us over and over again that we are incredibly poor spiritually and so that's who jesus came for because that's everyone each and every one of us, it doesn't matter how good your life is. It doesn't matter how much money you have, your achievements. Because of that spiritual poverty, you will always find yourself longing for something that would satisfy you. You'll always be reaching, always reaching, hoping that this will give me meaning. And you will always come out empty. You will always come out poor. And so Jesus says, I have come for those who are poor. But he goes on and he says, likewise, captives. Captives have a a spiritual application because the word technically means prisoners of war. Prisoners of war. And again, in that congregation, upon hearing those words, hearing Jesus read out those words, they probably would have sat there and gone, well, that's no one here because none of us have been to prison. So that must not apply to us. I'm pretty sure, and I'm not going to assume, that none of y'all have been in prison. And so you might do the same. You might go, well, that doesn't apply to me. Never been a captive. I've never been a prisoner. But the, the word broadly includes many forms of spiritual bondage. Spiritual bondage. 
Bondage to money, bondage to guilt, bondage to sex, bondage to hatred, bondage to success, bondage to food, bondage to unforgiveness, bondage to religion, bondage to approval. I could go on and on and on. But there is something, something in our lives that's holding on to us, that's denying us the freedom that God wants to give us. I mean, think about it for a moment. Why do so many people love gossip? It's the bondage to approval. It's this desire that I want to be in the know. I want people to know that I have all the information about everyone. Why? So that they would love me. So that they would desire to be my friend. It's bondage. So often we talk about bondage to sex. But we say very little about bondage to food and to sleep. And we run to these things. These are all good things. All of these are good things. But we run to them hoping to find meaning and fulfillment and purpose in them. And so I'll just keep eating that cake or I'll just keep eating those sweets or I'll I'll sleep longer and longer and longer because I'm, I'm hoping to find rest and meaning in these things that can only be found in Jesus. And so these things that were meant for good now become your master. And so Jesus says, I've come for those who are captives. That there's a spiritual bondage that exists and you need to be freed from it. And so to all in the prison house of sin, the truth about Jesus' ministry allows us to sing. It allows us to sing, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Because of the reality that you've been freed from whatever it is that is holding on to you denying you the joy that is found in Jesus. So we see the poor, we see the captives. The the third group is the blind. Jesus' ministry benefits the blind. Now, because of the last two, you know where I'm going with this. Spiritual blindness. And so he came to, to give recovery of sight to the blind. In fact, Jesus uses this again when he explains to Paul, the apostle Paul, his ministry. He says, Paul, this is what I want you to do. If if we look in Acts chapter 26, Jesus says to Paul, I am sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus brings light so that we might see. I use this illustration all the time. Uh, And so if you've been here for a while, you're going to go, gosh, you're going to use it again. I love it because it works. So many of us have been sitting in darkness for so long. Our eyes have just adjusted to the darkness. And so we think things are getting better when in reality, things haven't changed. In fact, they're getting worse. But you think you're okay because my eyes have adjusted. If you've ever gone camping which I don't know I can say I have, you'll be out there in the dark 
There's no city lights. But you'll notice that after a while, your eyes just adjust. And all of a sudden, when you're like, I couldn't see anything, it's like, no, I see figures now. And you start to make out what those figures are. I think that's a tree. I think that's, that's a bush over there. I think that's the stream. See, the, the thing is, you don't want to be doing I think when a lion comes your way. That's the wrong time to go, mm, I, think, I think that could be. We've been sitting in darkness for so long, our eyes have just adjusted. And Jesus comes and he says, I have come to bring the light so that you might see. I've come to, to bring recovery. Recovery of sight to the blind. We are spiritually, spiritually blind. That we can't even see the, the, the forces of the evil one. We can't even see that anymore. And then the last group that Jesus' ministry benefits to set free the oppressed. To set free the oppressed. The core idea of oppressed is broken in pieces or shattered or crushed. Jesus comes to those squashed by life's circumstances who can see no way out, who find living itself an oppression. He's come to set them free. He gives them freedom and life to the full. Guys, I know at some point in our lives we can go, yeah, that's me. That's me. Whether it's life, whether it's relationships, circumstances, whether it's things that you do or that have been done to you, you'll find yourself in the corner being crushed by life or, 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 or you'll feel like the, this furnace called life increases the heat. You feel oppressed. And what the text tells us, in fact, what the scriptures tell us is that if you think physical oppression is bad, spiritual oppression is worse. And so Jesus says, I have come to set them free. I have come to set them free. But, but here's the really amazing thing about Jesus. What I love about him, what, what I believe can give us hope as we go out into the city and beyond with this message is that Jesus, he, he doesn't just say, okay, guys, this is what I've come to do. Or he doesn't say, hey, guys, this is what you need. Jesus puts into practice what he preaches. He puts into practice what he preaches. He, he, side note, all right, this one's for free. This is what separates our faith from any other religion. Is that our God left heaven. He left heaven, the comforts of heaven, the perfection of heaven. He left that to come and dwell among us among his own creation that had turned its back on him in all the wickedness and, and the brokenness. And not only did he, he come and, and dwell among us, but he, he lived a perfect life that allowed a perfect death, a death that you and I deserve. And not only did he die, but he resurrected and ascended, and even so right now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But that all started by him coming down to dwell among us. And so he comes and he says, listen, everything that I have said to you, I'm going to put into practice. In fact, I'm going to help you. 
I'm going to help you. And so, and so God isn't, isn't sitting on the top floor in a corner office somewhere, barking out orders to the rest of us here in the building or outside the building. That's, that's not God. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have a corner office on the top floor. He, he does, and so much more. But I want you to know that God is, is also the guy on the street helping you to park your car. God is, is, is also the security guard who lets you in. God is also the receptionist who welcomes you in. God is also the administrator who shows you around. God is also the mentor who guides you. God is involved in every part of our salvation. In every part of our salvation. Not only does he accomplish it for us, but then he he guides us through it. He is Lord of everything. And so Jesus not only says these things, but he begins to do them to show us, to show us what he means when he says, I have come to save the world. So let's look at a few encounters where that happens. All right? Let's look at a few uh, passages of Scripture that, again, if you are familiar with the Scriptures or, or you've been a Christian or you are a Christian, you would know these passages. But as we read them, I want you to notice something, not just the physical miracle that occurs, but I want you to notice the spiritual miracle. Those four categories that Jesus says he came to save. I want you to notice them. Let's start in Luke chapter 17, verse 11 to 19. It says, while traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down on his feet, thanking him, and he was a Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. Why is that important? Why is that crucial? Why why does Luke find it necessary to put that in there? Well, Well, it's because the Jews, they were like, no, Jesus is coming. There's a Messiah coming, but he's only coming for us. He's only coming for us. See, they had failed to see that God is forming a family for himself from all people. This isn't something that, that shows up when Jesus shows up. This has always been at the very heart of God. Jesus is wanting to show us that, hey, you may not be a Jew, but you too, you too can be grafted into the body of Christ, that you can call to God as Father. And he was a Samaritan. Verse 17, then Jesus said, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. He'd been healed already. 
with the, the rest of the nine. But he comes back recognizing what had just happened. Recognizing that, yes, listen, I've been healed physically, but, but something powerful is happening here. That this thing that I, I have been a slave to, this leprosy, this thing that has oppressed me for years, I no longer have. I've been liberated from it. But as he takes those steps away, he, he thinks to himself, hold on, something big is happening here. I think I've been liberated spiritually. And so he turns back. He turns back and, and, and he goes to Jesus and he gives praise and glory to God. Jesus sees that and says, your faith has saved you. But let's keep going. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 to 48. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly her bleeding stopped. Let me give context. Now, if we read Leviticus 15, we're told that if anyone is found to be bleeding for an extended period of time, they are to be declared as unclean. And not only are they unclean, but anything that they touch becomes unclean. And not just anything that they touch becomes unclean, but if anyone touches that which they touched, they become unclean. And so this woman had been bleeding. And so historians tell us that what probably would have happened in that culture is that one, she probably wouldn't have gone out as much. She would have stayed at home and probably sent family and friends, the very little that she had, to go and get her, her supplies. She wouldn't have gone out much because she was unclean. And if she did, if she had to go, she'd be walking around crying, unclean, unclean, unclean. It was, it was always loud enough so that those around her could hear it and make sure that they get out the way. But also soft enough so that she doesn't gather the attention of others. Unclean. Unclean. Nobody, nobody wanted to be around her. She had been disregarded by the society. And so she hears that Jesus is coming her way. And so I would imagine that on that day she decides, you know, I'm not going to shout unclean because I don't want to be noticed. And so she's navigating through the crowds. Finally gets close enough to Jesus and then touches him. Jesus stops, verse 45. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you. They're enclosing you. They're confining you and pressing against you. It's almost to say, but like, Jesus, what are you talking about? 
Everyone's touching you. Verse 46. Someone did touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. <laughs> there's, a, there's a full 40-minute message here, uh, which I will not uh, put you through. But that message is so many people, so many people are touching Jesus. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. What, what does that mean? So many people show up to church. So many, so many people show up to city groups, to prayer gatherings. So many people will show up, sit in the second row, lift their hands while we sing praises to Jesus. And he doesn't stop. So, so why stop for her? Why stop for this unclean woman? Jesus says, no, power has left me. Somebody touched me with desperation. Someone touched me with intent. It wasn't the regular, oh yeah, I need Jesus. Oh, I'm in trouble. Oh my goodness, I, I need to go to church. Oh, my finances aren't working. I guess I need a little bit more Jesus in my life. No. He says, someone touched me with desperation, with intent, with meaning. And then notice his response, right? So again, imagine, let me set the scene. Guys, we've got to read the scriptures this way. Let me set the scene. So there's a crowd and Jesus has stopped. So many people trying to grab him. He stops and it's like, okay, why are we stopping? Obviously now the crowd stop because everyone's like, what's going on? Like, why is he stopping? They eventually work their way back and realize, oh, it was this woman. She shows up, falls before Jesus and then gives reason to why she did it. And says, when I touched you, I was instantly healed. You would think, you would think the disciples, at least if it was me, I'd be like, get this woman out of here. <laughs> what on earth? How dare you? Unclean. Like I wouldn't even... Like, wait for the rest of the story. The moment she says, I've been bleeding for a number of... Get her away! Verse 48. Daughter. I almost wept when I read this. He looks at her and says, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman who had been disregarded by the society, no longer cared for. Jesus looks at her, the savior of the world, looks at her and says, daughter. He says, you and I are family now. I want everyone here to see that you and I are now family. Because you came to me in desperation. You came with intent. Yeah, she, she had been healed long before this, this, this part of the encounter even happened. But, but Jesus saw something different. She recognized that I've been oppressed for years. I was in bondage for years. 
and not just because of this, this physical reality, but because of what others had done. They had left me. They had abandoned me. And so she was longing for something else. But, but let's read another part. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 to 42. As he approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Hearing a crowd passing by, he inquired what was happening. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they told him. Set the tone. It's crazy. Jesus has come through. Everyone's looking for that miracle. I'm looking for favor in my business this year. And not that that's a bad thing, but hey. Everyone is looking for a miracle, and so they show up because they've heard about Jesus. And so this blind man, probably sitting, overlooked, recognizes that there's commotion. He hears all of this, and he's like, this is different. This is different to a festival. This is different to a wedding. This is different to a funeral. And so he, he, he goes, what's going on? And I'm pretty sure maybe the first two or three people just kind of ignored him. Oh, it's that blind man who sits at the corner again. And so in desperation, he goes, guys, what, what is going on? And so someone just probably just passing by goes, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is here. And, and his brain begins to work. The blind man's brain begins to work because he's like, okay, Jesus of Nazareth, and I, I've heard he's done these things, and, and okay, wow, this is incredible, and he's here, and, and then he goes, and I've heard the scriptures being read to me when I was a little boy about, about one who would come to save the world, and he would do these things. I've, I've heard the prophecies. His brain is working. His brain is working. His brain is working, and then in, in a moment of desperation, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You see, many of us will read it and we'll be like, that's Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. This is a man who's been blind probably his whole life. Disregarded. Abandoned. Overlooked. And so he hears that Jesus is here. And so he cries out to him, son of David. Have mercy on me. Then those in front of him told him to keep quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Guys, how many people were probably crying out Jesus' name that day? Brother kept walking. But upon hearing Jesus, Son of David, he stops. And commanded that he be brought to him. When he came closer, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? This man cries out with desperation. He cries out with intent. And notice he doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth. He calls him son of David. His messianic title. While he was sitting there in blindness, connecting all the dots, he was like, this isn't just Jesus of Nazareth. This is Jesus, son of David. He cries out his messianic title. This is the Messiah that has been promised from us that would come from the line of King David. It was enough for Jesus to go, hold on. 
My whole life, people have called my name. Someone's calling me with intent, with desperation. Someone knows who I truly am. And so he goes to me and he says, hey, what, what do you want? I mean, he doesn't say, what do you want? He says, uh, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. Receive your sight. So now he sees. But Jesus goes on. Jesus told him, your faith has saved you. Physical miracle. Necessary. Beautiful. But what we desperately need is a spiritual miracle. We need to be saved. And, and so he sees that. Instantly he could see and began to follow him, glorifying God. All the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Guys, I could keep going on and on and on. I'll give you one more and I'll be brief because it's one of my favorite. John chapter 4. The woman at the well. Well-known portion of scripture. This woman who later in my life, I've actually read it correctly. You see, for, for the longest of time, I read it as, man, this woman, just she's a problem. She's a prostitute. She, she's living this, this sexual, crazy lifestyle. It's, it's her fault that people don't want to hang out with her. But as I got to understand cultural context, no, 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 this woman had been abused. Women didn't possess the power that they possess today. Nowhere are we told that she was a prostitute. So this was not by profession. She had just been passed on from one man to the next man to the next man. And, and it didn't matter if those men were married. They were just abuse, abuse, abuse. And yet the town had labeled her some way. We stay away from her. We see her coming to get water at a, a time of day where you never went to go get water. It just didn't make sense. Why? Because she didn't want to be around other people, the names that they would call her. And so she shows up at this well ready to draw some water. Jesus shows up, very awkward, because uh, uh, he's a Jew, and Jews don't interact with Samaritans. That's number one. And then she's a, a woman, a Samaritan woman. So she's just like, okay, what does he want? Is he going to take advantage of me? Is this another situation? What's going to happen? Jesus engages her and begins to draw from her heart. As she's drawing from the well, he is drawing from her heart and saying, you are longing for something that only I can give you. Blown away by her interaction with Jesus, she goes back to the town and says, listen, come meet this guy. Compelled by her encounter with Jesus, she says, come meet this guy. Come and meet Jesus, the savior of the world. Friends, this gospel that we are holding on to, this gospel that we so desperately need, is the one thing that we will cry out day in, day out. Why? Because it saves. It meets us where we are, and all of us are pretenders. I'm going to call you all out. You're all pretenders. Because we'll show up to environments like this and be like, everything is okay, can't wait, so excited for 2018. When meanwhile, inside, you're burning and you're going, I, I don't know the uncertainty of what lies ahead. I, it keeps me up late at night. I don't know. And so what we'll do every Sunday is someone will get up here and they will read from this book and they will unpack it and then they'll say, Jesus will save you. And then the very next week, we'll show up and we'll do the same thing. Maybe we'll sing some pretty cool songs 
a great question of the day. Someone will unpack this and go, Jesus will save you. That New Year's resolution, brilliant. Join CrossFit. Get that new diet. But only Jesus will save you. So are you aware of your condition? As I close, I I ask you this question. Are you aware of your condition, your spiritual condition? A condition that can only be cured by a savior. And his name is Jesus. This world, this nation, this city is in desperate need of him. And then for all who have been rescued from spiritual poverty, freed from eternal captivity, had their eyes open to the lies and the deception of the evil one, liberated from the kingdom of darkness's oppression. For all of you, what do we do? We collectively follow Jesus. We glorify God and in our praise we tell the world of God's desire to give them life and life to the full. And so what's Rooted Fellowship's New Year's resolution? Same as last year. To see a world awakened to the wonder of God. To see South Africa awakened to the wonder of God. To see Pretoria, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues awakened to the wonder of God. And so will you join us? Will you join him, the savior of the world? Let's pray. And so, Father, we come wanting to recognize who you are and and all that you have done. God, you are our king. You're our savior. You are seated on your throne, fully in control, and at the same time, you are close enough to us to know our every need. And so God, as we look into 2018, we ask that you would be with us every step of the way. In fact, that that we would be known as a people who went nowhere, who did nothing without you. Your counsel and your wisdom, your power and your glory your love and your grace. And so Lord, even as we sing this last song, my hope is that to many of us, if not all, there would be a a moment to reflect and ask ourselves this question, Jesus, are you at the center of everything that we do? And if not, how, how by the power of your Holy Spirit would you draw us and draw me to that place where I would see you as the author and perfecter of my faith? God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.